We're in Lambo playing you guys. You roll to your right. You're doing the pump fake thing, looking for guys, backpedaling. You get to your sideline, and Warren, you don't see Warren Sapp coming, and he just tees off on you. It's the hardest hit I've ever had in my career. Yep. I remember like it was yesterday because I thought you were dead. I, I was on the other side going, now maybe I can beat him because he's dead. <laughs> Well, welcome to Beyond the X's and O's. I'm Trent Dilfer, and this week's guest is a special one for me. It's Brett Favre. Now, right there, you should probably listen because he's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend, one of the funnest players ever watched play the quarterback position. But on this episode, as normal, we'll go a different down a couple different rabbit holes. Uh, we'll learn why he wears number four. And you might be interested to know that he didn't want number four. Before he's become a legendary quarterback number because of an odd series of events. For those of you low on a depth chart right now, if you're a young quarterback and you're sitting there number four or five and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get my opportunity. Or you're an older person that's going through something at work where you don't feel like anybody's watching you. Uh, guess what? Brett Favre was number seven on the depth chart it's at uh, Southern Mississippi. Uh, he was actually thinking he was going to play safety uh, instead of quarterback, and we talk about that journey. And what was most important to me was Brett Favre was a great mentor to me. Uh, I've been very honest about how my career stunk early on. Uh, I'll talk about how I was probably the worst player in the NFL my second year, yet Brett Favre treated me like gold. He mentored me. He always made it a point to encourage me before games. Uh, and I got to see live and in person Brett Favre do some things that were miraculous. I, I hear all the time, well, Pat, nobody could do that, Pat, what Patrick Mahomes just did. Well, guess what? Brett Favre did it about 20 years ago. Uh, we'll talk about who he thinks most resembles him now in modern-day football. The answer may surprise you. Uh, and we'll talk about a legacy that not many people know about Brett Favre. It has nothing to do with football. It's how he treated people. And quarterbacks all around the NFL are doing this thing right now that Brett Favre taught us all how to do years ago. And then check in with what he's doing now. Brett Favre's a tough dude. We all know that. Well, what he's doing now, uh, he's showing more toughness, probably doing what he's doing in a couple weeks uh, than what he did on the football field. All of that and more with Brett Favre coming up. Let's welcome him. Brett Favre, thanks so much for being on the show today. A uh, little context. This show's called Beyond the X's Nose because it's all about the journey uh, that you go on as a quarterback. Your journey's as unique as anybody's. Uh, and I am pumped not just to have you to talk about your journey, but you've been a good friend for a long time and uh, one of my heroes. So thanks for being here. We're starting every show like this, Brett, and I think you're going to like it. Go back to Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, North, uh, what is it? Hancock North High School. Yeah, Hancock North Central. Hancock North Central. And talk me through what Friday Night Lights is like in Gulfport, Mississippi. Well, I'd love to give you some big extravagant story. But uh, <laughs> my, my high school football days is very uneventful, uh, as you know. Uh, and uh, we are dear friends and we go way back uh, you and I uh, so we know each other's story and um, my dad was my high school football coach he had coached at Hancock North Central for well from start to finish uh, almost 40 years wow. and uh, my, me and my two brothers uh, all played for him um, we when I was the quarterback my older brother threw it more. My younger brother threw it a little more. I don't know what that says about me because for me, we ran the wishbone for two years and then the wing tee my senior year. That's uh, big graduate is, level there to go from the wishbone yeah. to the wing tee. You moved up. In the yeah, world. it wasn't like it added any more passes. Uh, it was just a little different misdirection uh, set up. But it was a small school. Uh, you know, when I when I asked people how big their school was, uh, what was what was their graduating class? You know, I usually get a higher number than mine. My my graduating class was about 105, 100, 105, so uh, fairly small. Thirty, probably thirty three to thirty thirty to thirty five players on the team, and that was kind of the, the going rate year in year out. We played similar teams, you know, you, you kind of knew them from summer baseball. Uh, and, 
you know, most of the guys you, you knew you hung out with in your spare time. But it was – we were we were pretty good. But nowadays, like in Mississippi, and maybe it's like this everywhere, and you're coaching high school football, the top three from the conference go to the playoffs or something. Back back then, when I played, only the top team from the, from the conference went, and that was it. So we'd go like – Eight and two, or seven and three, but we never. There was one team that we can never beat, uh, and uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I was. I, I used to argue with my dad all the time. Dad, let's throw more. Now we were we were good running. The, we had two running backs that had a thousand yards uh, each, and I was probably six, seven hundred yards rushing. So. And we were, you know, seven and three, eight and two. So it's hard to catch. You would think, you know, and I would tell my dad, I'd say, Dad, if you want me to get a scholarship, you got to let me throw. And if my dad were here today, he'd say, it worked out pretty good, didn't it? So I can't argue with the the results. Um, But, you know, I think my dad, in fact, I know, he was, and he threw it more with my older brother Scott, and my younger brother Jeff, because that the 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 talent makeup was was better suited for that than we had. We had guys who could run. Yep. And you know, the few passes that I threw were, I'll be honest with you, I mean, it was sort of like how I played, Trent. Um, and this probably is no surprise to you. It was probably a run play. That was a busted play, and I just I ended up throwing a sixty-five yard touchdown pass. You know, it was never any. Um, all right, son, I want you to look, read the flat. If, if the guy, if, if, you know, if he leaves the, the area, throw the curl. And it, there was never any of that. You know, so that was that was that was it in a nutshell. But I don't think your experience is that different than a lot of young quarterbacks out there. And I think what happens is the only stories that are told are the air raid high school quarterbacks who get to throw it 45 times and they're being, you know, that are on 247 and being highly recruited. But the bulk of the guy's dream of playing college football are in your situation. They're playing in a wing tee. They're only throwing it 12 times a game. Uh, they're begging to throw it more, but they're learning how to um, be leaders and be selfless and uh, be all about the team, but they all have one experience. We all have kind of one shared experience, and that's that first high school touchdown pass. Uh, it's been really interesting to hear the stories from other Hall of Fame quarterbacks and present-day quarterbacks about their first high school touchdown pass. So before we leave your high school years, talk me through that moment. Well, this this is probably going to surprise you because I've never been asked that that question, you know, about my first high school touchdown pass. I don't remember. No way. I, I, I honestly, I, that tells you how many times we threw and how important it was to our offense or our, our team. I don't remember. I remember as if it were yesterday, my first college touchdown pass and my first pro touchdown pass um, because they were that important. But I, I, I honestly have no clue. I couldn't tell you, you know, if it was the fifth game of the year. I know, I think I threw total in my career in high school. Now, I didn't play my sophomore year. I was going to play, was going to be the starter, and I had mononucleosis right at the start of training camp. Had a swollen spleen, so I had to sit out the whole season. So I only played my junior and senior year, but it allowed me to get bigger, stronger, uh, and and, and that was was a good thing. But I, I just don't remember. I don't, we did, all I remember when I think of high school football at Hancock North Central, I think of 838 power pitch, I th- where I would turn and pitch it, and I was the lead blocker. I remember doing that until the cows came home. Well, that's an important lesson, though. I mean, we can easily just transition. You're the lead blocker. People yeah. hear that again. So if you don't understand that play, he would spin out, he would turn it to the tailback, and now he followed you to the guard pull as well. So you're wrapping yeah. the guards pulling yeah. and you're the second polar. Yeah. Uh, so you're in there wrapping on inside linebackers, cleaning up defensive line mess. Uh, so your high school career was maybe defined more by grit and toughness and doing anything no to question. win the ball game. Is, is that fair to say? No, I, no question. And I think, and you would agree, 
pro football for me, I played 20 years. And yeah, as I got older, I, I, I did less of it. But you could say early on in my career that you could see that how I played in pro football, much, you know, not seeing a high school football game that I played in, but just assuming you'd say, he's playing just like he did in high school with, with enthusiasm, with the toughness. Mm. And I wasn't afraid to, if I threw a pick, I, to go try to make a tackle and, and, mm -hmm. and make a name for myself or having a block on a reverse, whatever it took. Um, and that all comes or stems from, my high school football days, no question. Absolutely. We're, we're going to get in your NFL career at the end, but I do, because you talked about that, I think of the signature moment. We're in, uh, La we're in Lambeau playing you guys. You roll to your right. You're doing the pump fake thing, looking for guys, backpedaling. You get to your sideline, and Warren, you don't see Warren Sapp coming, and he just tees off on you. It's the hardest hit I've ever had in my career. Yep, total kill shot, and, you know, it was the ooh, ah, Lambo gets quiet, and then, boom, you jump up, you're slapping his helmet, you two are jawing at one another. I remember like it was yesterday because I thought you were dead. I, I was on the other side going, now maybe I can beat him because he's dead. And then <laughs> you jump up and you guys are talking. I mean, that was that toughness. That's that enthusiasm, that energy, that juice um that you always played with I think people admire and we'll get into that a little bit later but you know what's as you said if your dad were around he would say hey son it worked out pretty good because it did you got your one scholarship offer and and yes one scholarship offer if I if I remember correctly from right. southern southern miss and and you go there but you start what seventh string on the depth chart and they want to move you to safety so yeah, I was, I was seven out of seven. Yep. Talk to me about that little uh, journey there as you launch your uh, college career. Cause people probably forget you had to fight your way to the top there. Yeah. You know, uh, for obvious reasons, there was no scholarship offers coming in. You know, I, I, I'd like to say I was recruited hard by all the, the, you know, the, the, you don't relative. have to lie. Yeah. You know, I, I got a letter from Alabama. I can say that. that, you know, when I got a letter from Alabama and LSU and Ole Miss and Mississippi State and uh, Auburn, uh, you know, Tulane, all the ones within close proximity, I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. I'm getting recruited, but, but they do that for everyone. You know, if you're even, and, and back then, that was really the only means of uh, communication. You know, now you, you know you can email, you can you can uh, you can text. You, you, you know, there's all different kinds of. But back then, um, you either got a VHS or or uh, beta or whatever. Yeah. You know, sent to the you know, like say dad. Now he wasn't savvy enough if he. Downloaded, and he wasn't even download. What am I saying? If he recorded, um, you know, several games, put them in the mail, sent them to various colleges, or the coach, position coach, or the recruiting coach for that area had to come physically see you. Uh, otherwise, it was just word of mouth, and you're like, hey, man, you need to go see this kid down in Hancock County. You know, he can sling it. And some coaches came. But they would all basically say the same thing, and and that would be to my dad. You know, if we, if you want if you want us to recruit your son as a quarterback, you got to throw, you got to throw, and and yeah, did we throw? I think I probably threw fifty passes. I mean, I, I can't remember. We never we never kept statistics, um, so I, I don't know officially. But two three passes a game would be would be fair. Uh, but the one, the one school that kind of stayed vigilant was Southern Miss. And that was obviously the, uh, the school I signed with, but it was the closest school, but it was also the school my mom and dad went to school, uh, and got their degree from. It's an hour and a half away. My dad actually played baseball for Southern Miss with, interestingly, Ray Guy. They were on the same team together. Uh, Ray was a great baseball player, but uh, all accounts, my dad was too. But so I kind of wanted to go there for that reason. But I'll be honest with you, I, I wanted options. 
who, you know, and, and like I told my daughter when she was getting recruited for volleyball, I said, you're going to have a problem that I never had. And she said, what is that, Dad? And I said, options. Am I making the right decision? Which school should I go to? You know, am, am I making, Yeah, you know, all it, for me, it was, it was easy. It was clear cut. It was a no brainer. I went to the only school that offered me a scholarship and that was the day before the official signing day, which was like late February. The recruiting coach was also the O-line coach and he and my dad actually became really good friends throughout the recruiting process. Mark McKell was his name. Great coach. Um, and I'll never forget the night before the, the official signing day, I got zero offers. And he calls and says, hey, uh, we got one. He said, actually, a quarterback from Florida that we had a commitment from backed out. We have an opening. Do you want it? And he said, now, look, I think you can be our quarterback someday. But I, I'm having a hard time convincing our staff. So you just come in with the assumption of being the punter and backup safety or corner, whatever. He said, just you're coming in to do whatever. And I said, coach, I will do whatever. And I honestly, I, and I mean this sincerely, I honestly thought that if I were going to play at Southern Miss in football, it would be as a free safety or strong safety or something like that. Uh, I had hopes that I would get a shot to play quarterback, but I, I, I'll be honest with you. I was sort of doubted or was unsure of my, I knew I could throw it. I could throw it better than anyone out there. Did I, but I didn't know if I could read. I didn't know if I could function as a passing quarterback because I'd never done it. Mm -hmm. If you said, Brett, do three whirly birds, run to the right, run to the left, throw it all the way across the backside of the, uh, of the field against your body, I'd go, perfect. But if you said, read flat the curl or weak side blitz, what do you do? What, what, what yeah, I was, I was really, that was foreign territory for me. So when I got to Southern Miss, there were seven quarterbacks on the depth chart. I was the seventh one. I, I remember walking in and the freshman had to come in a couple of days before everyone else. They said, what number you want? And I was 10 in high school. I said, I'd like 10. They said, taken. That's Reggie Collier's number. We're going to retire it. And uh, Reggie Collier, Collier is the greatest college football player I've ever seen play. I said, okay, I, I get that. What about seven? What about the, how about four? You take it or go home. And I said, <laughs> all right, sounds good. I'm thinking four. No one has four. You know, you know, at the time, I, I couldn't think of a person who wore four that had any success. But so I, you know, I say all that because I was, uh, you know, I was lowest on a totem pole, uh, you know, and I had to fight and claw, and you know, no one gave me anything. And, and really, first few days of practice, like in the morning, I can't remember which one, but like morning, you, you if you were a, a dual threat, so to speak, you did one in the morning and the other in the afternoon. Um, and so I was a style team quarterback giving the guys the look and I was doing what I was saying, you know, running around, throwing back across my body, throwing it 75, 80 yards. And guys were like, man, this guy can throw. I mean, why ain't he playing? And I just kind of got a couple of guys got hurt. A couple of guys got moved. Actually, one of my, my, uh, uh, Freshman who we entered together and we left together, Michael Jackson, if you probably remember, the receiver. He actually changed his name to Michael Dyson. Yep. Played with Cleveland for a long yep. time. He, he came in as the number one. He was a Gatorade player of the year, uh, I believe, in the country, out of Kentwood, Louisiana. He, he, he threw for over 2,000 and he rushed for over 2,000. Wow. Which back then wow. was, you know, nowadays you go, well, heck, you know, five other guys I know did the same thing, but he, uh, I thought there's no way I can compete with this guy before I saw him throw or run. Well, I, after the first week they moved him to receiver. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he, he, he could flat run, but it ended up working out for both of us. But, uh, I ended up getting my shot, you know, much sooner, uh, and, and unexpected than, than I had even hoped, but, you know, 
Well, two things stick out to that. Number one, could you imagine being that quarterback that decommitted from Florida? He, I, I yeah. hope he listens to the show and be like, yep, that was me. I was the idiot. You know, I, I'd know. like to know who that was. And gave gave Farvis opportunity. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness he did. And the second thing is, you know, I've been talking to a lot of the quarterbacks just about that journey of grit and toughness and resilience. But with you, I just want to talk about scouting because I don't think anybody's ever equated Brett Favre career journey to scout team quarterback. And it sounds like that's where two things happen. One, everybody at Southern Miss went, holy smokes, this kid can rip fire anywhere. And two, you probably grew as a quarterback. You probably started figuring out curl flat and two high, one high. And, oh, they're bringing a bunch of guys from over here. What do they call that? Oh, that's boundary pressure. Or they're bringing a lot from over here. That's fuel pressure. And so what? talk to me about that scout team experience and how much it poured gasoline on your career. Well, first and foremost, and this, I don't know how other guys felt about it, but I absolutely loved running the scout team. Mm -hmm. And I actually did it some at various times in, in my pro career. Just, you know, say we're playing Steve Young. They, I'm, I'm not left-handed, but they like, all right, Brett, get in there, run around, make some things happen. And, um, you know, Michael Vick, of course, I'm not a Michael Vick guy, but I would get in and, and, and just try to give them somewhat of a look. Um, and I loved it. You know, some guys like put them in the scout team, whatever position. They're like, man, I ain't. I loved it. I, you know, because that was that was me. That was really, and I think, and, and you obviously can attest to it. But guys that I played with, played against, would say his whole career was a scout team. You know, he, <laughs> he trying to get him to do it the way the card said is one thing. Uh, easier said than done, you know, Brett. I want you to just, I want you to throw it high, high low read to the right. And I ended up throwing a deep out to the left or something, but <laughs> because I wanted to wow people. But, uh, it certainly, it was a time for me, especially as I moved up the ladder and moved up the ladder. It was a time for me to, um, without anyone knowing to be, to work on and being more polished as a quarterback. Uh, and I know it sounds like, you know, uh, the total opposite of what I just said, but, you know, footwork, running the wing team, the wishbone wing, you can imagine footwork was never any, you know, was never an issue with my dad. He didn't say, hey, that's a three-step drop, that's a five-step drop, that's seven in the hitch. There was never any of that. So, you know, I had to really, and I was, I was really too shy or embarrassed to ask, like my first quarterback coach, Jack White at Southern Miss, I was a great guy. I was never able to say, Coach White, can you work with me on drops? I just kind of acted like I knew what I was doing. And in fact, my second touchdown in history in college football was a, a deep over. It was like from a, a, a weak, weak slot, but nasty position. You know, and I kind of faked like a lead or, um, uh, a weak side run or something. And I took like a 12-step drop. <laughs> and I threw a touchdown. So the next day we're watching film and Coach White says, hey, that's a, a seven to nine-step drop or whatever off the of play action. I said, yeah. He goes, you took 12. Maybe even took 13. And I, I remember thinking to myself, but it worked. It? And that was kind of that give and take throughout my career. Um but, I mean, I, I was just raw. And so, scout team gave me an opportunity to kind of spread my wings a little bit and be who I wanted to be, but also to learn a little bit like, okay, I'm, I'm going to read the high-low. And maybe I didn't even know what high-low was, but I heard him saying that. Yeah. Um, but it was a way to, to, to really hone my craft in, I felt like. I'm with you, man. I get asked to speak at all these clinics around the country, and one of the first things I tell them is, you don't want me to come speak because one of the things I'm going to tell you is have your starter run scout team. And you're, yeah. you're going to disagree, and I'm going to be able to tell you all the reasons why. We have one of the best quarterbacks in the country here where I'm coaching, Luther Richardson, and I've seen massive development. Not a little bit, massive. He learns more from running scout cards than he does from listening to me. Uh, and doing it our way because he gets to experiment. He gets, like you said, spread his wings. He gets to drop down sidearm, 
wrong foot forward. He gets to experiment with a different rhythm drop. He gets to use his eyes and look a guy off and come back to the middle. He gets to pump fake, uh, second reaction stuff. I mean, it scout team quarterbacking, as I talk to these quarterbacks around the country, they all go back to at one of their experience on scout team and saying, that's really when I figured out what coach was talking about. That's when I developed this layer of my game. Or as you said, that's when you, when you spread your wings. So, uh, we got so much more with Brett Favre. We'll talk about his journey in the NFL. Many of you forget he was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk about his time in Green Bay and all the stuff he's doing after football when we get back from this break. Hi, football fans. Trent Dilfer here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That's a lot of football. And guess what? This season, you get even more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in your front room. Stream to your favorite device. Just picture it. You put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks. Oh yeah, and stream an insane amount of football. So Packers fans, you're spread out all over the country. You'll never miss a game. Use promo code DILFER2021 at checkout and get your 15% off. Now you can see Aaron rip it every week. My life is nuts. Whether I'm coaching high school football on Friday nights, watching college quarterbacks on Saturday, or watching NFL guys rip dimes on Sunday, I am always needing that extra shot of energy, and I live on this triple shot. Starbucks triple shot energy, extra strength coffee beverage in a can. That Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink. Four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and now available in two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. So what gives you energy? Find your Starbucks triple shot energy online or at your local store. So Brett, obviously your, your time at Southern Miss was amazing. Some huge signature wins, wowing the college coaches you played against. Uh, but then you end up getting drafted in the second round. And I think a lot of people forget this by the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Real quick, before we get to the Green Bay years, uh, what was that year like in Atlanta, and what lessons did you take from it when you eventually went to Green Bay and started the Hall of Fame career? It, it was exciting in some respects. I, you know, it, it was uh, – and I know the younger generation wouldn't remember, but uh, the, the, the Braves won the, super, the World Series that year. And I, I only bring that up because Deion Sanders was on that team. Yes, sir. He was also on the football team. Yes, sir. We went to the second round of the playoffs that year. And, of course, that was my only year with Atlanta. It had been 20-something years, I think, since they had been in the playoffs, if I, my memory serves me well. Um, and MC Hammer, um, <laughs> you know, we were too legit to quit. He traveled with us. I mean, it, I mean, he was like the man on the, on the, the music scene. And every country act who was who was popular at the time was in our locker room. It was wild. It was wild. Jerry Glanville was the coach. Yep. Now, all that being said, I was absolutely zero to Jerry Glanville. And that was from day one. He could care less if, if I was living or dying. Now, he may say different today, but that's the truth. And it was a humbling experience. I don't... I, I know I didn't do anything wrong to him because this started from the first day I showed up. And, I mean, he picked on me from the day I walked in the building to the day I left. And, again, it was humbling. Hazing the rookies was, like, priority number one to Jerry Glanville. Like, you know, shave their head. You know, whatever you got to do. You know, we treat the rookies like crap. You know, I can just hear him. And uh, I'm not, you know, I don't say that to, for people to feel sorry for me or whatever. I'm just telling you that's the way it was. So it was very humbling because you, you go from being your college, the guy, you know, uh, you know, the guy at Southern Miss was probably a lot different than being the guy at the University of Miami at the time. But still, I was the guy. And we had tremendous success uh, at Southern Miss while I was there to go from that to um, every day after practice, I'd shower and my clothes were, they were hidden somewhere. They were either in a hot tub, cold tub, uh, sauna. And then the next day when I would go to get dressed for, for practice, 
my shoelaces would be cut, my 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 uh, my shoulder strap pads, the the strap was cut, my helmet was missing, and I mean it was just the almost the last thing that I had to focus on or was able to focus on was football. It was like you know, I was always looking around my, the corner and see if someone was going to try to shave my head, to see if someone was going to, you know. I mean, I hate to say it, beat me up, you know. I mean, it was crazy. That being said, I Deion Sanders ended up being one of my closest friends and looked after me, and, and he and I are very close today. And, I mean, he took me under his wing for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe he saw something in me that maybe I didn't even see. But we had a lot of success. I don't know if that year from a X's and O's standpoint – was able to help me a whole lot because it was run and shoot offense, uh, fun and gun, run and shoot. You know, I mean, it was, and Chris Miller executed it to perfection that year. Mm-hmm. We were lighting it up. And, and it was, I mean, I wanted to play, but it was sort of fun to watch. But then, you know, I go, I transitioned from that to a totally different offense. So I, I think in some respects, I learned a little bit of what not to do or mm-hmm. how to act. Mm-hmm. From that point on, I, I never, not that I ever was a guy who wanted to haze rookies anyway, but I said, I am certainly not going to pick on anyone. Not that I would have anyway, because I said, knowing what I went through, if, if we need a guy, we, there, there's going to be some rookies that we're gonna, that's going to start throughout my career, and it's going to be very important to our team. The last thing you want them to do is be afraid to come into the building. So... You know, it was it was a loose atmosphere. It was unstructured to say the least. June Jones was kind of the calm in the in the midst of chaos. It was my quarterback coach and offense coordinator, and he, and I loved June, uh, and uh, he treated me with, with utmost respect when I probably didn't deserve it. Taught me a lot. We threw. I remember buckets every day after practice, working on touch. Uh, and and loved it. I mean, he he spent a lot of time with me that he may have thought, you know, at some point was, I'm wasting my time. This kid, you know, I mean, he's he's gonna drink himself to death if you know if he doesn't watch out. But it but it was a, it was I, I'm thankful for Atlanta because it got me to Green Bay. Well, it's really interesting too because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a couple stories that I think now I have better context on because of how you were treated in, in Atlanta, both good and bad. One, can't wait to have June on the show because what a great man, what a great coach. And people forget how many incredible quarterbacks June Jones yeah. has had his hand on right. in their development. But two things. Number one, uh, and I don't talk about myself hardly ever on this show. Nobody cares. <laughs> so I'm not going to get <laughs> terrible ratings talking about myself. But most people know I went through some incredible struggles early in my career. In fact, I tell people I was the single worst player in the National Football League my my second year. And if you don't believe me, look at the back of my trading card and, and then you go, wow, yeah, he was the worst player. But Brett would see me in the offseason. And this was after my rookie year, after my second year, after my third year. We would go to these golf tournaments. We'd go to these NFL functions. And uh, Brett Favre was the guy that found me before anybody else. And this is the days of Marino and Elway, uh, Aikman, all these legends. And they were all great to me. But Brett especially would always pull me aside, put his arm around me, and talk to me about perseverance and you're going to be all right. And, hey, I saw you do this last year. You're getting it. Keep your chin up. Like, Brett, you I don't know how if you remember this, but your influence, your encouragement early in my career allowed me to keep going because I mean, I was in the tank. I could not believe how um, my career had taken a 180. I'd gone from a Heisman Trophy candidate to the worst player in football. And uh, your voice of support, uh, your encouragement uh, meant the world to me. The other story I'll tell that I think has some relevance is when the Green Bay staff came to Seattle and Matthew Hasselback came with them and I was there, I just won the Super Bowl in Baltimore and then go to Seattle. The Favre stories were incredible, but the best Favre stories were how he treated people in the building. In fact, we had a thing in Seattle where we had to learn, we had get the, the program in the beginning of training camp. 
And Matthew and I would go through all the auxiliary staff, all the business operations, everybody in the building and learn their name. So that when we saw them, we'd be able to uh, greet them and say, hey, Sally, how you doing today? Or, hey, Joe, uh, what's going on when you'd see him at training camp? And what people don't understand is that's a Brett Favre thing. Uh, that was something that Matthew Hasselbeck, as a rookie in Green Bay, had learned from you and admired that about you, that you always took the time to learn everybody's name, how you treated everybody in the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, that never gets associated with you. And I think that, that's what this show is all about, is to help share that part of your journey when you're in Green Bay is your three-time MVP. And people forget that. I sat there live and in person and watched you win those MVPs and dominate and all the things that went along with your career. While that's going on, the parallel is that you're the most respected person in the building. You're treating people like gold. Those relationships you had in Green Bay, they last today. Uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from how you handled your time in the NFL relationally. And I, I didn't want to miss this opportunity uh, to brag on how you treated me and the legend that is Brett Favre outside of football in the building. So uh, I just want to take that time. Well, and do I appreciate that. that no, you, got- you know, I, I think hearing that um, and, and, you know, I don't ever want to pat myself on the back and it, uh, I only did what, you know, what I needed to do. And that's treat people with respect because God knows I had my share of, of uh, mishaps and, yeah. and bad experiences. And, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly been no saint, but, you know, I really appreciate you bringing that up because that is important and was, was important to me. And I'll give you an example. Aaron Brooks, we drafted him. I can't remember exactly, 99, maybe. Sounds right, yeah. Out of Virginia, I think we drafted him in the fifth round. Uh, a bright, very smart, very talented young quarterback. And probably the first week in training camp over at St. Norbert College, I, he'd, he'd ask if he could watch film with me uh, after everybody was gone. And I, I was kind of pumped, I, you know, because that didn't happen too often. Um, I said, yeah, sure. You know, somebody wants to, you know, feed off of my knowledge, you know, yay. We sit there and he'd ask me about stuff. And, and then, and I, I don't know why I remember this more than anything else, but he asked me, Brett, he said, if you could give me one piece of advice to take home, what would it be? You know, and I'm sure he was thinking more X's and O's related. And I said, if I could give you one piece of advice, know everyone in the building. And he was like, do what? I said, know everyone in the building. And I don't know why I said that necessarily. It, 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 it just dawned on me. I mean, is that the most important thing that he could take on that day? Maybe at times, yeah. Maybe at other times, not even close. But that's that's just what came to mind at that time. And, you know, and I think I said to him after that, I said, you never know when you're going to need to be lifted up by someone in the building. Uh, these people that, that you'll pass day in and day out probably seem so useless in the big picture when they see you or me and they pass you. Like, no one, you know, they don't even know I exist. I could walk through here naked. No one would even know. To me, I never went out of my way. It just kind of came natural that I gravitated to the equipment guys, to the training room guys, to the maintenance guys. I just gravitated to to all those, uh, you know, the, the guy that works in the ticket booth or whatever, you know, I wanted to know their name. I wanted them to feel special um, because they are. And you know, I think a lot of it was due in part because of the way I was raised. My mom and dad were school teachers in Mississippi. They made 18,000 a piece. And you can imagine there was no, we were, we were better than everyone else. Uh, that, that mentality certainly never entered our ho- household. So um, I, I just think that's important because uh, we're only on top for so long. And it's a roller coaster. And then someday your career ends. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd want to be like more for other things rather than how many touchdown passes I threw. 
Oh, Brett, let so, me play. Let me play it forward for you a little bit. It's not just the maintenance guy, okay? Because he's probably going to watch the show and be like, "Yep, that was my dog right there." We'd we'd hang out by the tractor and talk about ball and talk about fish and talk about hunting. But now let's play it this way. How about the times you put your arm around me, encouraged me? The times pregame, we'd always talk before pregame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd always encourage me pregame, postgame, uh, Reggie as well. Uh, but yeah. now think about the last 10 years, I've been running this Elite 11 thing and talking to, let's call it 700 quarterbacks a year around the country. I tell all of them this story about you learn everybody's name in the building. I tell them all about your encouragement to me. Matthew Hasselback, incredibly influential person on TV, television personality. You did it with him. Aaron yep. Brooks has gone on and influenced a bunch of people in his career. Kurt Warner, who you're with. Yep. I can go on and on and on. So those moments that you invest in those relationships, myself, others, they've now gone and taken those lessons and spread it out. And that's, I think, your legacy. People have asked me all the time, what's Brett Favre's legacy? I think, you know, he's always on my list of one of the greatest of all time. But more importantly, I know he did behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And his behind the scenes influence, despite all the things he went through, uh, is as dynamic as his on-the-field influence. So thank you for that. We're going to go to another break. When we get back, we're going to touch a little bit on Brett's career uh, and some of the stuff he's doing after it. The NFL is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for week one. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DILFER to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code DILFER to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time offer only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, one 800 9 with it back with hall of fame quarterback and dear friend brett Favre. who do you see today playing the game that most reminds you of yourself i would say uh josh allen probably yes you know i mean a year everybody ago, says mahomes everybody says mahomes but i yeah. think it's josh allen i watched josh well, allen. a year ago at this time if we were having this conversation i probably would have said mahomes yep. baker mayfield but but now it's Josh Allen. You know, yep. the more I've gotten a chance to watch him, um, you know, he's he's trying to run over people. He's he's just basically doing whatever. He's raw, but he's a winner. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure Dayball, his quarterback coach, who was my quarterback coach for the Jets, is like, quit being Favre. <laughs> you know, if you want to play 20 years. You got to stop trying to run over people, and and in year three, four, five, six, it's it's kind of hard to. Oh, it's so true. I I I, I kind of consider myself a Favre expert because I sat there and got tortured by you for all those years. But people want to make the Mahomes comparison. I'm like, yeah, Brett did all the stuff Patrick's doing, like early nineties. Like, everybody goes, oh, Mahomes did this, Mahomes did that. I'm like, yeah, I saw that. I, I saw that 20 years ago. I mean, let's talk about Josh Allen. Like, they're the same human. They're wired the same way. Yeah. They have the same reckless abandonment for their body. Absolutely. They throw the ball these weird ways, yet it's just ripping fire. They're winners. Uh, put the ball in their hand at the end of the game, and it's not going to be the way the two-minute drill was set up, but they're going to punch it in the end zone. It is crazy to watch Josh play. For me, 
as a spectator because I'm like, I'm watching number four play. He's just a couple inches taller. That's the only difference. He's just two inches taller, and that is the only difference. And Dable's got to be going crazy, but at the same time giggling inside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe if there's there's any differences, he's a little more polished. I mean, a little more. Um, you know, the guys today take take care of the ball so much better than. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about across the board uh, than 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 years ago. I mean, and it's a more controlled chaos passing game. I mean, they're throwing a lot more, uh, and uh, Josh kind of is like. Of all the quarterbacks out there, he's kind of like the, the the closest to old school. Yep. You know, not putting up super statistics yet. Not saying not saying he's not playing great because he's playing outstanding, but modestly, he's just winning games. And however that whatever that calls for, that's what he you know he, he's able to do. Yeah. So yeah, definitely he and I are closest in comparison as you look at the league these days uh and you can keep this really tight and again there's nothing i want to bring up that's controversial or hot take or any of that but as as you look at the league and you see these storylines and really it starts the tuesday after the super bowl monday after the super bowl they're talking about the super bowl but then starting tuesday they're going to start talk about quarterbacks and we're going to talk about free agency and draft and just go on and on and on. And that narrative is going to continue through training camp because nobody really cares about training camp until we start talking about on Monday what happens in the, in the game. As the quarterback becomes the central figure in the biggest sport in America, as you look at it from afar, are you encouraged? Are you disappointed? Uh, do you think it's become something it shouldn't be? What what's your just your one minute take on the position of quarterback in the National Football League? You know, I'm, I, I have a, probably a, as boring an answer as as any. Um, I, I'm really I'm not surprised, good or bad. I think it's it's sort of like life in general. Uh, you know, it seems like yesterday when I was putting a CD in my truck. Now CDs are obsolete. I don't even know what you use now. I mean, the iCloud or something, you know, you don't even have to put anything in there. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's there, whatever that is, but it's there. And and that's that's kind of the, the nature of the game, but more so the, the nature of the quarterback. I mean, what will it look like 20 years from now, 40 years from now? I mean, I don't even, you know, I have no idea, you know, will we drive around in, in floating cars? Will quarterbacks be running four flat 40s, but able to throw it 100 yards? Maybe, <laughs> you know, you know, like I, it's, it's changed so much. You know, like when I first got in, in 91, the average line, was like 265 mm-hmm. and a D-line was about the same. That's so, – you got quarterbacks weighing that now. Yep. And, I mean, in, one, in some respects it wasn't that long ago, but in others, when you go – you mean uh, average line was 265? The average line for the Packers in the Super Bowl in the first and second Super Bowl was 215. Now, kickers weigh more than 215. You know, uh, so, I mean, I, you know, it's just amazing how much it changes. It doesn't seem like it when you think about it from, man, it's 25 years, but the, the quality of play, the, the athlete uh, is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I, I often say to myself, there's no way a defensive lineman can get any bigger and any faster. And I say that, and then a quarterback shows up who's 265, who runs a 4640. And, you know, no one wants to tackle him. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm not surprised. I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's just the way it is. Just is. All right. So if I think anybody ever watched any part of your career, if they had one word to define, you'd be toughness. I don't think that's really um, a discussion point at this point. You're the toughest guy that's ever played the position. Uh, your track record proves that. So it's no surprise that Brett Favre, as a grandfather, uh, 
as a spokesperson for multiple companies that you are doing something that requires incredible toughness at this stage of your life. Uh, let's finish with what you're doing now, Brett. Yeah, and it, and it may involve a little bit of stupidity. Yeah, which, is, which would be which, fair as which, well. Which goes hand in hand with my career. Fair. <laughs> Just ask Mike Holmgren. <laughs> what in the hell are you doing? I heard that so many times. But anyway, yeah, so uh, I signed up for a – It's it's they, the, when you sign up, it says race. But I'm – I'm, I'm not going to say race because I that it implies that I'm going to finish somewhere, you know, and respectable. If I just finish, yeah. to me, that's a win. Yep. It's a 110-mile bike ride. It, the ride is called Triple Bypass. It starts in Evergreen, Colorado. It ends in Vail. And it's in one day, it's 110 miles and about almost 11,000 feet of climbing. So you go over three different mountain passes. And, uh, my, you know, I, people say, well, what do you do now? I, I play a little golf. I, I'm not very good. I like to bike because it's low impact. You know, I'd, I'd love to be able to run, but I, my back hurts, my ankles hurt. And so biking's kind of a, a, a good transition. And you can kind of stay competitive. You can outdo your time for, or try to outdo your time. From, so I'm always kind of pushing myself to the limit. I've run in three half marathons, which if you'd have told me that when I retired that I'd run three half marathons, I'd have said, why? Much like this, this bike, bike ride, but it's August 21st. And it's really just kind of a, I just want to see if I can do it. I think the day that I quit pushing myself to, to accomplish something is the day I'm in trouble. And so I, I foresee, you know, finishing, but I, I'm probably going to average 10 miles per hour. I, I, I kind of know uh, counting uphill and the downhill. So that's basically 10 hours on a bike. I don't know if I want to be on the bike that long. So I'm trying to figure out a way to maybe get out up to 11 or 12 miles per hour. In fact, I'm, I'm going for a ride right after this. Uh, but I kind of like the, and I'm not good at it, I kind of like the, it's sort of like when I first started playing in professional football, when I sort of had to make the calls and like, all right, Brett, it's on you. If you see the weak safety coming down, you got to make that call. So it's 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 kind of like that about now, but in a different way. Like, what do I need to do to do this or to get this accomplished? And how do I need to go about it? So that's basically what I'm trying to do. So cool to hear what Brett's doing now. It uh, doesn't surprise anybody that it's taken toughness and grit. Uh, Brett, th thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, it's been amazing having you, and thanks for your friendship. On next week's show, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon.